Welcome to the uh, question and answer session for why I'm not a Christian. Uh, where is email? Where is my email? Okay. Um, I'm going to stand because I fear if I sit that I'll be a little too low. Actually, let me test it out. All right, yeah, I'll do that. Um, and these guys are going to be packing it behind me a little bit, so don't be distracted. Um, well, how about we, um, we start like this. I'll, um, I'll read some of these questions that you guys have submitted. And um, I'm a, my goal is for us not to be in here longer than 30 minutes. And if there's questions that I don't get answered in here tonight, then... Um, then I'll try to answer them online on a, in a blog if I can. Um, all right. The first question in, uh, and thank you guys for hanging around, by the way. Um, the first question that we got in is, um, I think it came in after the sermon on hell last week. And the question says, um, so sin will exist through eternity. Jesus didn't conquer sin to destroy it. Um, that's in reference to a statement that I made about, um, about when, when people are in hell, that their desire, uh, basically their desire to sin against God, their own pride and self-worship continues for eternity. The whole hell is a door that's locked from the inside idea. Um, so the answer to that is yes, it does. Um, it does continue for eternity in hell completely separated from God. And just to kind of give you a, a, a kind of thought about that, there's only really three ways that, that, that you can answer what happens to sin, what happens to death, okay? Uh, one way is, is annihilation, all right? And some people carry that idea. I don't believe that, I believe that the gospel says that, that hell is an eternal place, continues forever. The, um, the annihilation theory says it just ceases to exist, People who sin against God cease to exist, so all there is. Um, the other thing that you could use to explain it is you could say, well, no, uh, sin doesn't exist. Jesus died for it, and it completely goes away, and um, there is nobody in hell. And so everybody goes to heaven. That's the universalist idea. Um, I would also say that it's, it seems to, you seem to have to do some, some rather crazy biblical interpretive gymnastics to get the Bible to say that. And and I just, that's not the way that, that I look at the Bible and, and interpret it. Um, I try to interpret what the scripture says based on what the plain and simple meaning of the text is in, in its genre. And it doesn't sim- seem to lend itself to universalism, that everybody is, is, everybody's sin is dealt with and ends up in heaven. But indeed, there are people in hell, as Jesus warns. Um, the other thing is to say that, yeah, people go to hell and are separated from God, but there's no sin, pain, and death there. Well, problem with that is then, well, what's the difference between hell and heaven? Um, what do you end up with? You end up, without, uh, you end up with a hell with sin, so you end up with a, a hell without pain or suffering or brokenness. Um, and that doesn't seem to be what the Bible indicates. So really the only thing left, and I believe the Bible teaches anyway, but the only thing left by process of elimination, just thinking through it logically, is that hell is actually a place where um, somehow... The presence of God is, um, is masked or darkened. Or, or, I, I can't explain it. I mean, that's probably going to be my answer to a lot of these questions. But it, 
it's not that, it's not that God is, like, doesn't exist in hell, all right? But, but it is that his presence is not known there. And so sin does continue forever and is allowed to continue forever, which is attached to all of the suffering and torment that's, that's there. So I hope that makes sense. Um, anybody have a follow-up question with that? Yeah. He is thrown into a pit, but remember, remember that we're not talking about hell in terms of, it's not like the far side cartoon, if you've ever seen those with where Satan's, Satan doesn't rule in hell. And so it's almost, it's almost irrelevant whether or not Satan is destroyed. But yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Satan is a finite created being who, is, who has limits. And he, he absolutely doesn't reign or rule in hell. All right, let me, uh, let me look at another one here. Um, how do I get one of those free iPhones for a Bible? Okay, I'm going to skip that one. Um, this, one says, uh, this one says, so most of my joy in life is helping people in need. I assume, I assume that that's a statement. Not, I assume that's a statement. I will just take it as that. Most of my joy in life is helping people in need. You know, fighting against evil. Okay. If no one needs ministry in heaven, what will I do with my time? Oh, okay. Great question. Um, simple answer is we don't know exactly. We don't know exactly. Um, there's a. Oh, that's my phone. Um, you can have this one. Um, there's, there's a great book on, on heaven uh, by a guy named Randy Alcor. It's called Heaven, actually. Um, and, it, and he actually does a little bit of thinking out. Um, it's, not, it's not stuff necessarily that's in the Bible. Like, here's a chapter and verse that says, you know, you get to play Frisbee golf. Um, but there is a lot of connection in taking what it says in Scripture and kind of, kind of looking ahead and thinking through. Um, so if your greatest joy is helping people in need, uh, and fighting against evil, and no one needs ministry in heaven, what will you do with your time? Um, the answer is, is that the Bible teaches that, in, that even in heaven, we're going to be working. In heaven, we're, going to be do- we're not going to stop working. No, work existed before the fall, um, before the fall of man. It's just, it's just how fruitful it was. Um, additionally, Jesus indicates in several places about um, in his kingdom how people will be entrusted with things. Um, and so I believe that what heaven actually looks like, what you'll be doing with your time, is that everybody will be entrusted with something. You might think of it like, um, um, I don't want to get too quirky and cheesy, so this is not necessarily, I'm saying, and here's what heaven is, this is kind of an illustration, okay? So you might say, you know, um, Clint back there gets X number of acres, okay, because he was entrusted with much and was, was faithful with much, and and this person, you get, you're in charge of this, or you're in charge of this. You might have these lands. Because remember, there, there's a city in heaven. The Bible describes a city, a new Jerusalem, but it's, it's the entire earth. It's the entire cosmos that's, that's actually being renewed. And so it's not like, oh, we got this finite city, and oh, I'm up against the fence. There's too many people here. Um, you know, people have, have read Revelation and interpreted what the size of it, and some people have said it's the size of the United States. Um, but it's actually all of creation that the Bible presents as being completely renewed. And so when you look out here and what we see and like to do here, 
um, that's just going to be multiplied in heaven, but it's, it's going to look better and it's going to be better. So if you enjoy helping people in need, um, it's not that there won't be people in need. Um, oh God, it's hard to put. It's not that there won't be people in need, but there won't be people in need or in lack because of sin. All right? There won't be people suffering, but there will still be ways that we care for and love one another. I mean, love is about giving yourself, and you, we will still be able to give ourselves to other people in, in heaven, mainly to, to God, and then we, we will be reflecting like mirrors the glory of God in heaven. So you won't, you, you won't not be able to help people. It may look different than you do now. You're not going to be able to help a homeless person, all right? You, you're not going to be able to feed someone hungry, but there will be ways in which you're entrusted with something um, that you're to steward for eternity. Does that make sense-ish? All right, that's the best I got. Heaven by Randy Alcorn is a great book. Sure. I am. Sure, sure. There, there will be ways that we love each other and give to each other and help each other in heaven. Um, next question says, um, regarding the nature of God, why does it appear that there is such a difference in the Old and New Testament? Great question. Um, if God's nature has always been that which we find in the gospel, why didn't he just start things off with Christ instead of the law of Moses with so many strict and picky rules, many of which punishable by death? Okay, um, solid question. I would say this. Um, there is a surface level um, kind of reading of the Old Testament that would lead you to believe this. Um, God is not, he's not two gods. Like he doesn't have this, he doesn't have this, you know, cranky junior high Old Testament character, and then you know he becomes the more mature, loving God in the New Testament. Um, and actually, um, if you if you read the law and you read the New Testament through the lens of the gospel and the cross, it, it, it's actually saying a lot of the same thing, kind of in a shadowed, expanded form. Um, so, let me put it this way. Uh, let me give you some examples. So you talk about the picky rules in the Old Testament. So think about, um, you know, you can go to Leviticus and you can read on and on and on about like what animals you can and cannot eat. And you'd read that and go, why, why, why all this strict picky, why can I not eat shellfish, all right? And that's often used in our, in our culture and society as, you know, things like, well, well you know, why would you, why would you obey the, the Bible's rules of sexuality, but not also obey the rules of, um, but not also obey the rules about shellfish, right? And so people are like, you shouldn't go to Captain D's if you if you wait until sex until you have married. You should go to Captain D's anyway. But um, beside the point, unless you like Captain D's or some of you are Captain D's employees, and then I will go and support you this week by purchasing a meal there. Um, but here's the thing, like those, so those laws, for example, about not eating. Um, there's one that says you can, you can eat an animal that splits the hoof, but you cannot eat an animal that does not split the hoof. Huh? All right, so the idea behind that is that's, that's actually a shadow of the gospel. It's actually pointing people to a reminder of the curse of sin. So you think about an animal that, that, um, 
that splits the hoof, what it does is raise them up off the ground. You read back in Genesis uh, 3, after man and woman sin, um, they, it, what's cursed? The man and the woman and also the ground. And so every time God's people or people who are obeying God's law, every time they would go and they would read the law and they would try to obey it, all right? So every time they would go, God, I can't eat a pig. That was a reminder to them that the ground was cursed. It was all pointing to something. And that's the way that, I mean, that's just one example of a way that Jesus fulfills the law. Um, regarding the law, there's ceremonial law. Um, ceremonial law are things like that, that are all shadows. They're all reminders of, look, this is what you can't do because of the curse. They're reminders that you're incomplete because of the curse. So they're actually designed, the law is designed to create a longing for Jesus to fulfill that. There's also, um, there's also the cultural law. Those are cultural applications of basically the Ten Commandments. So you'll find the law like in Deuteronomy that says, um, you, if you build a house, you have, to build a, um, you have to build a fence around the roof. What? And so, well, I don't have a fence around my roof. Sinner! All right? But that's not, that's not why they're there. See, Jesus fulfilled that. That's a cultural application of thou shalt not kill. Because it, people actually went on the roof, they lived on the roof, and so if you didn't provide protection for them, you were being careless with life, which is the heart of the law that says thou shalt not murder. It's a value of life. So we have a cultural application of that law today. They're called stoplights, right? We value thou shalt not kill, we value life, and so we put up stoplights. And so we have a cultural application of that law. But, but that's fulfilled just by the sake of time. We don't have to do that anymore because it, it doesn't make any sense, all right? Um, and then there's the moral law, which is what we know as the Ten Commandments, okay? None of that has changed. All of those things are reiterated in the New Testament except for one, and that's a commandment about the Sabbath because Jesus, it says in Hebrews uh, 4, is the Sabbath rest. And so Jesus actually fulfilled that. So Jesus fulfills the law in lots of different ways. So that's some of the pickiness of the law. Um, regarding the nature of God and, and penalties, um, all of it is pointing to all of it is pointing to sins, curse. All of it is a reminder. Now you say, well, isn't that, you know, is that fair? Um, the answer is God is the giver and taker of life. You know, there's, there's for me, so think of it this way. Um, if you think about, um, if you think about um, abortion, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go there. If you think about abortion, and I personally am against abortion, and, and I, believe, I believe that the Bible makes it pretty clear that we can't take life. I believe that's life. I think we all agree that there's some sort of life there, and so I think we're responsible for, um, to help protect children. Well, why wouldn't I take the Bible, read it, and go, hey, look, I also believe that, that infants, when they die, without knowledge, uh, I mean, without um, Romans 1 says, being able to reject the fact that God exists and he loves them, I believe they'll go to heaven. So why, why am I not for abortion? Wouldn't it make sense? I mean, wouldn't it be better for me to be for abortion? All of those babies would then die and they'd have a secure life in heaven. I mean, wouldn't that be trading in the transient for the eternal? I mean, it kind of seems that way, but the fact is, is I'm not the giver and taker of life. And so I can't do that, even though I can make it make sense. And that's kind of the way we have to approach what happens in Scripture and in punishment of death for things is, is God is actually showing people, listen, you are under this curse. You have no power to get out. You're not the giver and taker of life. You can't create life for yourself. Um, the other thing I would say to that is we always assume grace, and that is very dangerous. Uh, Jesus says, I believe it's in Luke 14. Um, it's in Luke. 
I think it's in Luke 14. Um, if it's not, Google Tower of Siloam, okay? And so these people come actually to Jesus with the problem of evil, and they say, they say hey, Jesus, um, uh, why don't you explain to us why um, the blood of people is, is running the streets? Why is Caesar uh, killing all these people? Um, and Jesus says, well, you know that tower that fell over last week, Siloam, killed this many people. And he said, why do you think you're in a different spot than they are? Basically, what he's saying is, is he says, without repentance and faith, everybody will perish. And, and what he's saying is there is you're assuming grace. You're assuming that the normal, um, that, that what God is normally um, uh, responsible to do is to give life. But because of sin, he's not. He gave life. He gave life, and we rejected it. And so anytime, and what he's saying is, look, don't, don't complain about the injustice of God that you see in the Old Testament in these killings, which is not injustice at all. It's a very just, righteous action of God. Don't complain about, about things that happen in the world that hurt us and, and kill people that you love. He said, why don't, you, why don't you instead reflect on the fact that death is here and what that means for us now, and that means repent and trust in a God who has given us an eternal second chance. And so, so I realize that's kind of a rough-shot answer, but God's character is not changing. He's just as just. And additionally, the, the folks in the Old Testament had a promise that they could attach themselves and believe and be saved as well. And those people that, that died rejected that. And I, and I even believe for the children that died, that, that those children that, that still didn't have a comprehension to reject God, as Romans 1 says, that, that they're redeemed by the blood of Christ, even on that side of the, of the gospel. That's an all-over-there answer, but hopefully I've touched on some of it. Any follow-up questions with that, since that was kind of... Anybody have one? Oh. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, so a lot of people ask, um, a lot of people will ask, and, and the problem with the exclusivity of Christianity is is, well, why does God make it so the only way to him is through Jesus? And so well, what, what about the well-meaning person that, that never hears? Um, you know, what about the guy who's in deepest, darkest Africa or in Indonesia or India who's surrounded in his culture by different faiths and he truly wants to know about God, but, but, there's no, um, but nobody comes to him with the gospel? Nobody tells him Jesus. You know, wouldn't God make an allowance for that? Some people point to the Old Testament and say, well, just like God allowed for them to rely on God's promise to save without specifically knowing about Jesus, people are, I, I don't think the Bible teaches that. I, I think the Bible is actually pretty clear. Um, in fact, I would say in Romans 1 that that person doesn't exist. Um, Romans 1 and Romans 3, I mean, the first half of Romans is emphasizing not a single person seeks God. No one. None of us are seeking God. Um, additionally, it says, you're, remember, you're not rejected for rejecting Jesus. Okay? That's, that's not why people go to hell. That's not why people are separated from God. Romans 1 says that you're separated from God because you refused to acknowledge a creator that's there. That's why you're rejected. You, you, instead of worshiping the creator, man decided to worship himself. That's why you're there. Um, and, and even in the case, even in the case that there might be a person in India or Divazarka's Africa that, that has no access to the gospel, um, you know, I, we, have, we have instances like um, the Ethiopian in Acts chapter 8. Uh, yeah, or 9. 8. Yeah, Acts chapter 8-ish. Um, 
the Ethiopian eunuch who's traveling on the road reading the prophet Isaiah doesn't know what it means, and God sends someone to him. You have Cornelius. Uh, you have Lydia in the book of Acts, in uh, Acts chapter 10. Yes, and 16. Um, you, have, you have people who um, seem to be um, God-fearers in some way or seeing what the creation reveals, and what does God do? He sends something to do. I went over this a couple of weeks ago with Cornelius. Like, wh- what, did, what did God do when Cornelius was a really good guy, it said it called him a God-fearer. It said he was, he was upright with all the people around him. What did God do to Cornelius? He didn't say, oh, okay, well, you, you've seen me in creation. You kind of trusted me. No, he said, I, I got to send Peter over there. To do what? To deliver the gospel so he could be saved. Um, so I believe that, that for all of those people, that God will send someone if indeed they do exist, which is exactly why we're so hot about church planning. This is exactly why, why, why we don't sit around and, and wait for the Lord to save people. He, he's actually commanded us to go, and he wants us to be a part of that. Because we're supposed to be in deepest, darkest Africa and India and, and anywhere else that's deepest and darkest. Um, but Romans chapter 1 is a great place to go to read about that. And it's very important to not assume grace, again, not assume grace, and two, um, to realize that, that, um, that you're not rejected for rejecting Jesus. God doesn't, God doesn't say, hey, Jesus, oh, you don't take him? All right, you're going to hell. It's because of what you've already said about God by your self-worship. That's, that's why you're condemned. Any follow-ups to that one? Okay, let me do the next one here. How much time we got? They're angry birds. Okay. Um, let's see. Okay, I think I think that's all the ones I have. You got? I have one more. Did you send it to me by email? Oh, there it is. Okay. Um, how do you feel about overcoming an addiction? I'm for it. Um, most people relapse, although they constantly pray. So I didn't mean to minimize that question. It's just off the top. Uh, most people relapse, although they constantly pray. Um, how do I feel about overcoming addiction? Let me try to interpret what I think this question is asking, um, and I, I may not get it. Um, I think this question is asking um, people, people who are addicted, even though they, even though they profess uh, faith in Christ and are, don't like the sin they're in, but continue to continue to come back and repeat the sin over and over and over. Um, I assume it's asking, where are you with God in that? Why is that? And I don't know, I'm assuming all these things. So let me just try to broadly answer that, okay? Unless anyone wants to clarify that. Okay. Um, Addiction. Um, Yes. People absolutely become addicted to things. Um, in fact, I would say everybody's an addict. Everybody's an addict. Um, our culture has specifically and kind of medically labeled addictions, and, and I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. Um, I, I do think that our reliance on the diagnosis of an addiction helps us to remove some of our own responsibility and, and put it on something else. Um, now, Chemical imbalances exist. They're real. Um, 
um, spiritual oppression exists. It's real. Okay, so I'm not saying that there may not be cases where someone is overwhelmed, but what I do know is that Jesus is Lord of all of that, all of it. And so, again, Romans, I mean, just read Romans over and over. Um, Romans is clear that we are without excuse. Romans is clear that we are without excuse. The gospel, additionally, when you believe it, first of all, you didn't do anything to earn your salvation, and so there's no particular thing that you can do to lose it. It's not like God says, oh, I'll save you because of your faith. Whoops, you lost your faith. Or, oh, look at you, you're doing this thing again. I'm tired of this. I mean, read the Old Testament. Old Testament, another good example. Abraham, Moses, David. I mean, just list goes on and on and on and on about Peter in the New Testament. Um, on and on and on, all the disciples about people who were clearly in Christ, but clearly over and over and over and over committed sins. And we'd look at it and say, heinous. Maybe even say, you're addicted. So as you're standing with God, listen, I have one answer for that. If your faith and your trust is in Christ to, be, to pay the penalty of your sins, then the way God looks at you, holy, pure, righteous, period. Period. Now, what your reaction is to that should be a hate and a disdain for evil. And whether or not, you know, some sort of spiritual oppression, and there's, there's a debate about that, or whether or not some sort of uh, physical or chemical addiction to something um, has you in some sort of bondage um, that you continue to relapse, I would simply ask the question, does the love of Christ compel you or does an addiction compel you? The Bible says that for those who are in Christ, that the, it's the love of Christ that compels you. Now, center number one, there's probably tons of things I'm addicted to, I'll tell you right now, that I feel controlled by. The question is, how do I respond to those things? Do I rejoice in those things? Where do I find my identity? Is it in being a sex addict? Is it in being an alcoholic? Is, it in being, is that my identity? Is that what I wrap? Because if you, if you make your identity around that, that's who you'll be. Because the core of sin is about identity. Or is my identity in Christ and I look at what I do and what I think and, and, and um, I look at what I do and what I think and I say, uh-oh, that's me. And this Christian thing is a temporary thing until I can get out of who I really am. And it's a nuanced difference, I realize, but yes, well, sin. Last thing I'll say about that and then probably the last thing altogether. Um, unless I just lost it, which I think I may have. Think to, oh, it's, it's regarding repentance. Because repentance is very important in a cycle of addiction or sin, period, okay? So many people think, and listen, so many people think, Christians think, that a Christian who becomes a better and better Christian who looks more like Christ, I don't mean to demean looking more like Christ, but it's nuanced, that looking more like Christ means that you, you repent less and less and less and less and less and less, Okay? And so that means that I, I sin less and less and less and I become more like Christ until, you know, I'm just a mature person. And often the way that works out, and I'll tell you, this is what happens with me, is I'll look at my personal Christian heroes, okay? So guys like, you know, Tim Keller or, or um, uh, you know, John Piper, and, and I'll look at these guys and I'll say, man, you know what? It just doesn't really appear that they sin very much. You know, or you read you know, these dead guys and you're like, surely, you know, okay, maybe a little, you know, maybe you told a white lie one time. We just think they don't sin much. Well, maybe on the exterior, it seems that way. 
But listen, <laughs> Jesus is not about the exterior. The exterior is just fruit. Jesus is not about the exterior. And what's happening is not that person is sinning less so that they repent less. They're repenting more so that the outward fruit isn't there as much. But they're still sinning. And see, what happens when you see your dark heart and you see, like Jesus directs us to, all of the thoughts that happen before the action, a growing and changing Christian, an addict, as it were, will start to see those thoughts before they become fruit and he'll repent. And it won't bring pride. Why? Because he's looking into his own dark heart. And he'll say, oh my God, what a sinner I am. Jesus, I need you. See, the cross becomes bigger for you. It doesn't become smaller as you grow in Christ. It becomes bigger. You need Jesus more. You need the gospel more as you grow and you repent more. So a Christian isn't someone who repents less. A Christian is somebody who repents more and more and more and more and more. And that's why those guys are on the knees all the time. It's not because they're super spiritual praying people. It's because they actually see how dark their heart is. And that's the problem with most of us is we don't take that introspection. We spend most of our time picking apart other people. We don't take the introspection to see how nasty we are, how nasty our thoughts are. If you guys knew what I thought, you would never come hear me preach. I guarantee you. You wouldn't. And a Christian is someone who looks at ourselves and we repent more and more. The cross becomes so big. And I believe that's exactly the way it is with addiction. It's out of control. Guess who has control? That you go to the Lord of all when you can't conquer something. And you can't conquer anything, so you go to him all the time. All the control that you have is an illusion, and all it takes is one phone call in the middle of the night to wake you up from it. And you become desperate, and you repent more and more and more, and that's exactly where God wants you and where he'll grow you. So a Christian, somebody who repents more and more and more, and that applies to addiction too. All right, think that's all the time we have? Okay, that's all the time. Hey, thank you guys for coming tonight. If you have anywhere, you can still text in or email in if you have a question, and I'll try to respond to it. Um, just give me a little time to the week, um, and if I think it's a particularly good one, we'll, we'll put it up on the blog, okay? So um, we're always open to questions. You don't have to wait till a Q&A, all right? Thank you guys for staying. Have a good night.